All right. Well, I am excited to be able to preach this evening. Uh, when Pastor asked, said, Are you, would you like to? I said, well, absolutely. I'd love to. And, uh, and so I'm excited to be able to preach tonight. And uh, don't worry, we'll be done by 8 o'clock without a doubt. You all know I'm a short-winded preacher. And so we, we have no, no, it's April Fool's Day, so we're going to at least 8.30. All right. Um, so, uh, no, but I, I'm excited about this evening. We, uh, we've been tweaking the sound system, and hopefully for you guys on the live stream, it sounds a lot louder, hopefully clearer, and uh, we'll see how that is. Um, but let's go ahead and turn our Bibles, if you're there this evening, to Genesis chapter 27. And I trust that you will go ahead and put some of those distractions aside Get focused in on the Word of God and uh, the message for this evening. Genesis chapter 27. Uh, familiar story. We're going to read a little bit and uh, just a couple verses to get us started. We're well familiar, well versed in this story. And, uh, and so we'll, we'll read just a couple verses. We'll explain a little bit and then we'll get to where we're going uh, this evening. Uh, Genesis chapter 27 and verse number 1. It says, And it came to pass that when Isaac was old... And his eyes were dim, so that he could not see. He called Esau, his oldest son, and said unto him, My son, and he said unto him, Behold, here uh, am I. Here I am. And uh, here I said unto him, Here, here am I. And, he's, uh, and he said, Behold, now I am old, and know not the day of my death. Now therefore take, I pray thee, the weapons, thy weapons, thy quiver and thy bow, and go out to the field, and take me some venison, and make me savory meat, such as I love, and bring it to me, that I may eat, that my soul may bless thee before I die. Uh, we know the story of Jacob and Esau, and obviously Isaac, his father, and uh, we, we call it the story of Jacob and Esau, but truly, by birth order, it should be Esau and Jacob. Uh, but we know that uh, as a result of um, a, a transaction that took place in a moment of desperation. Esau sold his birthright to his younger brother, Jacob. And uh, Jacob would uh, be given the promise. And, and that truly was the promise given beforehand, even uh, before they were born. But Jacob would uh, get the blessing, was God's plan for these young men. But here is Isaac. And Isaac is an old man. From what I can tell and studying, and again, um, I, I, I tried to add some of it up. I never know if I missed something in these genealogies. He was around 130 years old when his eyes were dim and he was getting old. Right now, he's 130. And so, 130-year-old man calls his son into him, and he says, I know not the day, I don't know the hour, I don't know when I'm going to die, uh, but I feel like it could be any moment now. And so, uh, would you go and make me a dish, and we'll have a little father-son bonding time. And in this time, I'm going to give you uh, the blessing, the blessing as the firstborn. Uh, we know that he goes out, Esau does, goes out to, to find his father some venison. And while he's out, Rebekah, Esau and Jacob's mother, had overheard and went to Jacob and said, Jacob, I'll prepare a, a meal. Go get some skins and put them on your arms. Let's trick your dad and we'll, we'll, uh, we'll pretend like you're Esau. We'll, we'll steal the blessing. We'll rob the blessing. We, we know the story here, and so I'm going to jump forward to the point where Jacob walks into the room. Esau's still out hunting. Esau's still looking for venison. And Jacob walks into the room and, and right away his dad knows something is wrong. He doesn't know what it is. Remember, he can't see. He doesn't have that sense to rely upon. But he knows right off the bat. 
And what we're going to see in these, uh, this, this transpiring story where Isaac is navigating some difficult times. It's a short period of time. It's one story. It's happening, I assume, in, in just a, a few moments in one evening of his life. But it's a scary time for, for Isaac. He's blind. He can't see. We know right off the bat when we can't see, when we're in the dark, that that's a very fearful thing, when we can't navigate uh, the road that's in front of us. And, and so Isaac begins, it went right off the bat as we read these verses here in just a moment, we're going to see that Isaac begins questioning right away uh, what's going on. I, I don't believe what's happening in front of me. I, I don't grasp it. I don't understand it. As I was reading this passage, to me, it felt very familiar. We're in a time of darkness, as it were. In our world, in our society, we're, we're unsure. How do we conduct ourselves? What do we do? The day-to-day, -day, there's always something new coming out in the news. There's uh, always some more information. And, and, and as, it, as it is, a good comparison would be as to Isaac. We're kind of blind. We can't see tomorrow. We can't see what's going to happen. And, and as a result of that, in a lot of cases, um, we don't know what to do. And so I want to preach a message this evening entitled, What Not to Do When You Don't Know What to Do. From Isaac, I think we can learn some lessons. Some lessons that are going to show us what we shouldn't do when we're unsure about circumstances. What we sh how we should not behave ourselves when things are not very clear. You know, sometimes we get um, that, that paralysis analysis paralysis, they call it, where we get into a situation and, and we're not sure what to do, so we just freeze. So that, that's not the right thing either. But a lot of times when we're unsure what to do, we panic or we freak out and we do the wrong thing too. And so I want to bring some truth from God's word, hopefully that'll challenge and encourage you on what you should not be doing when you don't know what to do. Let's have a word of prayer and we'll get into our message this evening. Lord, we do thank you uh, for tonight. We thank you for the time that we have around your word. Lord, please speak to our hearts. Uh, Lord, I pray that this message would be communicated clearly across live stream. Lord, there's so much lost uh, when you can't look somebody in the face and, 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 and have a, a conversation, as it were, uh, with them and read reaction. But Lord, I pray that I would just simply be surrendered to your Holy Spirit's guidance. Lord, we know that your Holy Spirit is not limited by people in a room or whether I can see them or not or they can see me. And so, Lord, we ask that you would do a work as only you can. May I be ever more reliant upon you than I am uh, on myself. Lord, I trust that you will do something through your word. May it challenge the, the family of God, the members here at Community Baptist. May it encourage us. Uh, Lord, may it motivate us. Lord, in some cases, it may rebuke us, but through it all, Lord, may you be glorified. We ask that you would uh, be with our time together this evening. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And you see, hopefully uh, these guys will do our best to try to get some things up on the screen for you. Um, but I want to bring out our first point this evening when we look at Genesis chapter 27. And I want to skip down. We've read uh, up to this and kind of brought it up to date in verse number 20. Genesis 27 in verse number 20. And this is where Isaac goes into the room with uh, his food. It says in verse 20, And Isaac said unto his son, How is it that thou hast found it so quickly, my son? And he said, Because the Lord thy God brought it to me. And so what happens here is, 
is uh, Jacob comes walking into the room with the meal, and his dad is surprised. What in the world? How did this happen already? I just asked you to go. You went, you killed a deer, you brought it back, you butchered it, you prepared it for me already. How is this even possible? And so this whole interaction begins with a skeptical mind for, for, uh, for Jacob, uh, for, for Isaac, I'm sorry. And uh, he says, how, how is it, my son, that thou hast found it so quickly? And Jacob, he said, because the Lord thy God brought it to me. Verse 21, And Isaac said unto Jacob, Come near, I pray thee, that I may feel thee, my son, whether thou be my first son Esau or not. And so we see his doubt, we see his uncertainty right away. He said, all right, well, come on here. I I know what you're saying and I know what you're telling me, but I want you to come over here so I can really check to see if you're really the son um, that uh, you claim to be. And, uh, and so uh, we see here uh, where one of the things that we should not do, all right, and uh, we'll get it up here on the screen, what not to do when you don't know what to do. The first thing is do not move quickly. Do not move quickly. And uh, we see that right now what's happening with, with uh, Jacob and, and with Isaac in this situation uh, is that Jake, uh, Isaac, I'm sorry, I don't want to confuse you here, Isaac, he feels under the gun. Remember, when we look at this and we look at Isaac, we're saying, do not move quickly. Isaac thought, hey, I'm 130 years old. I don't know when I'm going to die. I don't know when my life is going to end. I've got to give this blessing to my son. And so his son comes in and, and he says, hey, dad, and it's Jacob, not Esau. Dad, here's the, here's the meal. And he says, how did you find it so quickly? How did you get this? And, uh, and, and, Isaac, and Jacob says, oh, I, I prepared it. God gave it to me. Now give me my blessing. Give me my blessing. And for some reason or another, even though there was doubt, and even though there was confusion in Isaac's mind, he goes ahead and he calls Jacob over, and he, he begins to go through this process of giving the blessing to Jacob. See, the truth of the matter is that uh, Isaac here, he's 130 years old, I mentioned that already, but we know for sure that Isaac doesn't die until he's close to 180 years old. Isaac was going to have another 50 years of of life. There was no pressure to give the birthright over right now. There was no immediate, I have to do this right now. I have to transfer it over. But for some reason or another, because of fear, because his eyes were growing dim, because he was frail, because he didn't know how he was going to be able to handle life, he said, I, I got to do this now. And a lot of times when we don't know what to do, when we're scared and, and when things seem uncertain, what happens is we respond in haste and, and we see that here. Even though the meal came quickly and he, he, didn't, he didn't feel like this was right, he just felt under the gun for one reason or the other. I don't know. But he felt under the gun and he went ahead and moved forward with this. I, I have no doubt about it. As we read through the story, you'll have no doubt about it that Isaac knew something was wrong. He knew that this was not right. There was something going on that he was missing and he just couldn't put his finger on it. You know, I feel a lot like that these days. I feel like there's a lot that I'm missing. I feel, what, what's going on here? Is the, is the God of this world, is he, the one who is, is he the one who's conducting these things? Is he attacking the church? Is he, uh, what, what's he doing? I don't know. You've had the same thoughts that I've had. They're running through your mind. And, and you're thinking to yourself, what am I missing? And I think Isaac, he, he felt the same way. Well, I'm missing something here. But he kept moving forward. He kept progressing the direction he wanted to go. 
And he'd wind up doing something, giving in to something here that he shouldn't have been persuaded of. I'm not saying he sinned or uh, any of that, okay? But he was deceived and he gave in. Even though he knew something was wrong. And that often happens when we're faced with a decision or we're unsure what to do. And we go ahead and we move too quickly. We'll see all through Scripture as we look at these examples of moving too quickly. We see Eve. It was just a moment. As far as we know, it was just a moment of her looking at the fruit. And when she saw it and the snake tempted her, the Lucifer, the devil, tempted her. And we know that this was just, this was just a, a brief moment. But she saw, she saw that it was good for food and there was something to be desired. And she took and she eat, uh, ate of it and she gave it to her husband. And all through Scripture, you look at these people, you look at Lot. He saw the plains of Jordan, and he saw Sodom and Gomorrah, and he pitched his tent that way. It was just kind of a split decision. We don't see any meditation. We don't see any time taken back to stop. We see Sarai as she was promised a son. And there she is. God says, here it is. And what is her immediate response? In haste, she says, ha, ha, ha. She laughs in God's face. Because she didn't know how this could be possible. She didn't believe that it could be possible. And so she reacted in a hasty way, laughing at God. Achan, he saw the silver and the Babylonian garments and said, oh, just took it. It's like a, re- a reaction, just a response that we have in our lustful human nature. You see, David had that same response. You see, Jonah had that same response. God said, go do this, and Jonah re- responded in haste. He didn't stop to think about it. He ran down to Nineveh. Too often when we don't know what to do, we truly are in a place where we feel blind and we're uncertain. All too often we respond in haste. We respond in a rush. We respond in a hurry. Hey, we see it today. People are freaking out today and there's no cause to be freaking out. I understand there's concern, but there's no cause for panic. There's, there's reason to be cautious, but there's no, no reason whatsoever, if you're, especially if you're a believer, if you're a child of God, there is no reason whatsoever that you should be up in arms. But yet we see, not only in the lost world, but in the church, and even in many leadership in churches, where people just thrown up their hands right away and, and, and said, I'm done with this. I understand. No, don't get me wrong. Listen to me carefully. I am not criticizing a pastor that has chosen to change or modify his services. I'm not, I'm not criticizing or mocking somebody who says, I feel to my best interest and my health to, to just uh, to stay away and not take a risk with this. I think there's some wisdom there. But for us to be running around like chickens with our heads cut off because of the, the world in which we live being up in arms is not the right response. That's a hasty and premature response. And we see for some reason that Isaac would push through all the warning signs that come his way. He would go through this whole passage, this whole story, and push through time and time and time again. The warning signs kept coming, and he kept doubting if he should move forward, but he kept pushing forward. Can I encourage you tonight, when you don't know what to do and you're unsure about what to do, don't move too quickly. Just slow down. Proverbs chapter 28, verse number 25 says, He that is of a proud heart stirreth up strife, but he that putteth 
his trust in the Lord shall be made fat. A proud heart is someone who's confident in themselves. They think highly of themselves. They think highly of their intelligence. They think highly of their own reasoning. So the Bible is is clear here that he that is of a proud heart uh, is stirreth up strife. What does it mean to stir up? Well, it means to agitate. It means to, to create, to mix it all up. What is strife? Well, strife is struggle, and strife is, is battle, and strife is to contend. And so a person who thinks too much of themselves and their own ability to make right decisions, their own ability to compensate for difficult times, stirs up strife. They create problems. And isn't that true? The Bible's teaching us here that when we're in difficult times and we don't know what to do, if we push through with our own reasoning and our own logic and, and just think, we've got it all figured out, we're going to create battles and difficulties that we never even needed to face. We're going to create contentions that we never needed to be involved in because we're too hasty. But the latter part of this verse tells us, but he that putteth his trust in the Lord shall be made fat. Man, when I think of fat, I think of that, that, that uh, on... on uh, uh, what's that? The Christmas Carol. I think of the jolly old, the the jolly, uh, the jolly one, the spirit or whatever he is, the ghost of Christmas present, right? And he's just, he's just happy and jolly, and and man, why? He's just a fat old guy. He's got all this food all around him there, the big buffet, and and he's just rejoicing because times are good. And the person who says, you know what? I'm going to trust in the Lord. I, I don't care what's going on around me. I I know I don't know what's going on. I'm not going to rely upon myself. I'm going to rely upon go the Lord. That person, the Bible says, that person shall be made fat. It's a peaceful time. It's a time of rest. A time of provision. time of protection. Sometimes we feel like we have to respond or react right away, but a lot of times the Lord doesn't want that from us at all. Matter of fact, He instructs us, but they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. So we see here what not to do. What should we not do when we don't know what to do? Well, first of all, do not move too quickly. Second thing is do not trust your feelings. Do not trust your feelings. In verse number 21, let's look at this here. The Bible says, And Isaac said unto Jacob, Come near, I pray thee, that I may feel thee my son, whether thou be my very son Esau or not. And Jacob went near unto Isaac his father, and he felt him, and he, Isaac, discerned him not. If you jump to verse number 23, sorry, I just jumped. 22, and Jacob went near unto, his, his, uh, unto Isaac his father, and he felt him. Verse 23, and Isaac discerned him not, because his hands were hairy as his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him. Once again, we see Isaac. He's unsure. He's unsure about who is actually before him. And in this moment of unsurety, in this moment of, uh, of, of, of not knowing what to do, what does he go to? Well, I know he goes to his sense of touch. The Bible says that he calls him over and says, let me feel you. His sense of eyesight has failed him. And he calls him over and feels his arms. He says, oh, you, you do. You, you feel like my son Esau. What happened in that moment? 
Well, what happened is Isaac shifted his trust from his eyesight to his sense of touch. He couldn't determine with his eyes who he was looking at. And so he shifted what he was believing in, what he was trusting in, to what he could touch. And he said, oh, wait, this does. This feels like my son Esau. The truth of the matter is that Isaac was simply deceived. Can I put it like this? His feelings were wrong. He thought that he felt his son Esau. In fact, he was touching his son Jacob, but he was actually rubbing the skins of an animal. He was completely confused. He had no idea what was going on. What he felt in that moment deceived him. You know, it ought to be natural for believers in the world today to navigate situations that were unknown, that are unknown or we're unfamiliar with by faith. The Bible instructs us, for we walk not by sight, we walk by faith. But far too often, often, like Jacob did, or like Isaac did in our story, we abandon the faith, which should be our natural response to identify how to handle situations. And we too shift to feelings. Not the feeling of touch, but the feelings of our emotions. And unfortunately, I see it in an increasingly, and may I say, uh, in the, an alarming pattern where people today, especially uh, men, I see increasingly in men, they're navigating their Christian life by feelings and not by faith. We get into unknown circumstances, we get into difficult times, and we begin to make decisions based on how we feel in the situation rather than by what we know about God and by what God teaches us about the world and what the end times will look like and from what God teaches us about how a Christian should conduct themselves in times of of fear and unknown. But there's too much emotion in it. Like Isaac, we choose to ignore some things. Isaac, again, once again, the first time, he ignored the sign. He's like, this just doesn't seem right. The food came too quickly. How is this possible? But he ignored the sign. And then again, here he is. He says, oh, man, this just doesn't seem like my son. The voice is different. And is this really him? And he blows through that warning sign, too. It's easy to get in that rut. Far too easy for us to fall into an emotional response. I can recall recently, Brother Don Johnson and I were working on a bus, and, and um, we had to take a, an axle off, and we get down there, and we're, we take the tire off, or the rim, and, and uh, actually we had to take it with the rear, and so we had to take two of them off, and we get them both off, and, and here we are, we're, we're trying to take this nut off, and um, there's a whole bunch of them, about 10 of them in a circle uh, behind there, we're trying to take that off to get behind to the, to the axle, and uh, as we get there, uh, man, we, we're putting the air wrench on it and, and uh, we can't get it to break loose. 
And we spend a bunch of time and we grease it and we lube it up and we get it on it with the air tools again and we can't break it loose. And so then we get a big wrench out and we put that on there and, and uh, we're, oh man, surely, you know, if I can't break it with the tool, if I can stand on this wrench, I can break it loose. And so we're getting on there and we're trying to break it loose. And, and, uh, and then we get a piece of pipe about five foot long and we put that on the end. And, and by about this time, Brother Don's keeping his head cool. He's a cool character. Nothing phases him. But I was starting to get frustrated this nut, this nut here. And uh, I just couldn't get the stinking thing off. And, and I'm on it. I'm, I'm standing on it. And I'm bouncing on Some of you have been to this place before. I'm bouncing on the end of this uh, uh, breaker bar on this wrench. Can't get anything. So we get out our big three-quarter inch uh, air ratchet. Surely this is going to do the job. This thing is massive. It's heavy. We get up. Nothing. So frustrating. You sit there and you, you get into that emotional state where it's like, I am going to get this stinking nut off if it's the last thing I do. And we've all been there. We've been to where we get to, uh, the emotions start to overrule the logic. I mean, we're ready to burn the bus down just to get the nut off. I'm going to melt this. I'm going to get a torch. I'm going to melt the, the whole axle off so I can get this nut. Oh, man. All along, it was just reverse threaded. <laughs> Click the button on the back of the wrench. <laughs> and it comes right off. Oh, do you know how frustrating that is? It hurts. It hurts to rehash the story, honestly. But truth be told, we get into situations today. We get into circumstances, and even like what we're going through right now, and our first response is an emotional response. Our first response is, well, this is what i got to do, this is what we have to do, this over here. Why were people buying the, the whole stinking Walmart of toilet paper? Some guy did the math, you know, on a, a people who bought like those big 40 packs, you know, how, how many years it was going to take them to use it up. It's insane. But what is it? An emotional response. Hey, can I encourage you today? When you're faced with a circumstance and you don't know what to do, don't trust your feelings. Don't rely upon yourself or, or your determination. And I can see where men are falling into this trap today of, of, of responding in emotions because we've got that fix-it mentality of, I'll just solve this problem. And so we start going about how we're going to do things. And we don't stop. Ask the Lord what he wants. We don't examine, try to th look and see what the Lord's trying to do, what's at play. We see it more and more and more today where believers, church, I'm talking to us. I'm, I, I know somebody may be on here that's not from our church, but as a church, too many believers are ruled by emotion. We've got to get it back in check. We walk by faith, not by sight. Don't get distracted by the world. I know, hey, listen, the media is going to blow up this weekend. By the time we hit Sunday, there is going to be thousands and thousands and thousands of cases, and everyone's got this, and we told you it was coming, and you didn't take enough precaution, and it's going to become full bore. It's going to, the, all the loud horns are going to be blowing this weekend. Establish right now in your mind, for we walk by faith, not by sight. I don't have to be swayed and I don't have to live in a world of turmoil and, and a lack, with a lack of peace. No. 
I trust the Lord. Sure, I do not know what is going on. I don't know what is at play. I can't see tomorrow just like you. But let's determine to trust the Lord. Not walk by faith. Or not, not walking by sight, but by faith. There is a huge void today in our churches of men who are surrendering to preach. There's a huge void of men who are, who are committed to serve the Lord full-time in ministry. As far as I'm concerned, it's the greatest calling in life. Not that there's something subservient to it, that you're a layman in a church, but if God calls you, there is nothing better in your life that you could ever have. Why is that void? One of the reasons, I believe, is because of feelings. I think there are too many men today who are being ruled by their feelings and not by faith. Oh, I can't do I couldn't do that. I couldn't be a preacher. I could never do that. That's your feelings. Oh, I, I, I can't, I wouldn't be able to provide for my family. Maybe the Lord's called you later on in life. You've got a family, you're established, you've got debts, you've got other things, you've tied yourself down, but that didn't stop the Lord from calling you, but you're sitting there thinking, oh, there's no way I could do this. It's just going to be too much. It's going to be too hard. That's your feelings. That's not faith. I think there, there's a bunch of people in our church that have been called to work in the bus ministry. But their feelings are keeping them from doing that. I think there's people who have been called to be soul winners in our church. But their feelings about what the world thinks, their feelings about uh, what uh, it would cost them, keeping them from being obedient. See, when we can't grasp or understand how something is going to get done or be accomplished, immediately we fall back to our own reasoning and and our feelings, they begin to dictate to us. Do not, do not trust your feelings. Especially, don't trust them ever, but especially, especially when it comes to unknown circumstances. When you're looking at it and you just say, I don't know. I don't know what's happened. I don't, know. don't trust your feelings. They're going to misguide you. I heard a preacher say once that uh, feelings make a good caboose, but a horrible engine. And they do. Folks, we know, you know as well as I know, that the heart is deceitful. It's deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Desperately wicked. Who can know it? We're duped by our own feelings so often. Our hearts convince us and persuade us outside of God's will. Isaac, in a different sense, used his feelings and they misled him. Don't get into that same predicament in your life. Do not trust your feelings. Kind of on the coattails of that, moving on as we look at uh, verse number 22. The Bible says, And Jacob went near unto Isaac his father, and he felt him and said, <clears throat> All right, here's the second half of that verse that I skipped over earlier. The voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. 
And he said, Art thou my very son Esau? And he said, I am. When you don't know what to do, do not ignore his voice. Do not ignore his voice. You see the little, I'll do that for you again. See that little motion there on your screen? The dropping in of the letters? That was done very intentionally. Because there are voices that are dropping into our lives all over the place. Every which way we turn today, there's another voice. And Isaac is here and he's unsure about how he should proceed. And he says, hey, the voice here, the voice that I'm hearing, that... That's the voice of Jacob, but the, what I'm feeling is the, the arms of Esau. And he questions him. Art thou my very son, Esau? Does it get any more direct? And the voice comes back and says, I am. Far too often the world in which we live today, we are allowing access to our minds from every voice in the world. We live in a time, especially today, and this applies uh, in the circumstances in which we're in. We, none of us, you and I, none of us, none of us know what tomorrow holds. But we are inundating ourselves with media and the news and people's opinions, and everyone's got a voice today. We're trying to figure out what tomorrow is going to hold. And because we want to figure it out, uh, we're constantly trying to pull more information in. Oh, man, what's it really going to look like? How is this going to shape out? And, and, uh, and uh, you know, there's, there's a line there of, of knowing what's going on in the world today. But I'll tell you right now that if you are taking in more of that than you're taking in of his voice, you're going to make a wrong decision. You're going to make a a, a wrong choice. Isaac says, right here in our passage, the voice is the voice of Jacob. It's Jacob's voice. But he ignores that. He says, oh, it's Esau's arms. And we already talked about how his feelings deceived him. But what did he ignore first? He ignored the voice. Social media has a voice. Television has a voice. The news media has a voice. Your workplace and coworkers have a voice. Cell phones and every other form of screen in your life and speaker, they have voices too. And there's so many of these voices in our lives. And you know what? These voices are all loud, aren't they? They're all loud voices. And they're all screaming for attention. And everywhere we turn, be careful! This is going to happen, this is going to happen, that's going to happen, this is going to happen. If we don't do this now, if we don't do this tomorrow, if we don't do this yesterday. That's the example in which we live right now in our circumstances, but it's true all the time. There are so many voices. And they're all loud. First Peter tells us that the, the voice of the devil is as a roaring lion. 
I've always found that to be a contradictory passage. You know, the roaring lion felt like, well, seeking whom he may devour. Usually a lion, when he's seeking to devour something, he's quiet. He gets down in his, in his stance and he creeps along the grass. We've all watched a, a, a cat prepare to pounce on something. They're stealthy and quiet. Why is the devil a roaring lion? He's got a loud voice. And most of the devil's destruction, seeking whom he may devour, doesn't come from him actually pouncing on you directly. It just simply comes from his loud voice, causing fear and distraction and discouragement. It's a frightful thing for the animals of the African plains to hear that lion's roar echo through the night. They know that the predator is out there. And it strikes fear in their hearts. And there's nothing more the devil wants to do in your life, in my life today, than to just keep roaring and roaring and roaring in your heart, in your life. Causing fear and causing doubt. All the while drowning out the still, small voice. The Lord... He doesn't speak with trumpets in your heart. He doesn't speak with thunder in your heart. Now, he has come through the thunder before. But in your life and in my life, he speaks to us in that still, small voice. And we're so inundated today. We're so consumed with the voices that are around us that I think a lot of times we're just like Isaac. We hear the voice, but we're not confident enough in it to say for sure. Isaac heard the voice of Jacob. He said, this is the voice of Jacob, but... And then he was led aside. When's the last time that you heard that voice? Did it speak to you in the calm of the day, today? Have you received confidence, that, the confidence that comes from walking with the Lord today? Hey, when you don't know what to do, don't ignore His voice. Make sure that you can hear it loud and clear. And if that means that you've got to throw everything aside that's distracting you in this world, then throw it aside and put it away. If what you're doing on the television and YouTube and, and your cell phone and the news, or whatever it is, uh, your coworkers, maybe it's your spouse or your children, I don't know, your family members, whoever it may be, whatever that voice is, if they are keeping you or hindering you from hearing that still small voice, you have got to put those distractions aside. Do not ignore his voice. In John chapter 10, verse 27, the Bible tells us that my sheep hear my voice. And I know them and they follow me. They follow me. I think we, as believers, are all familiar with the voice of the Lord. We've heard it before. You had to have to be drawn by the Holy Spirit. You had to hear it 
to be saved. And so every single believer in the world today, they know the voice of the Lord. But far too often, far too often, that voice is being drowned out. We don't hear his voice. Oh, sure. Yeah, John chapter 10, verse 27. My sheep hear my voice and I know them. He knows where we're at and he's warning us. And he's wanting to speak to us. I don't think the Lord ever stops off speaking to his children. I don't think his voice is cut off from us. If we're truly a child of God, the Bible is clear that I can at any point confess my sin and he will forgive my sin and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. And if I'll draw nigh to him, he'll draw nigh to me. And, and, and the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Oh, I don't think that the voice of God is ever shut off in a Christian's life. It's just that the Christian disconnects himself or herself enough from the voice where they can't hear it anymore. They put up a wall. They put up a divider. I believe that the, the, the Holy Spirit of God, is now I know that there comes a point where uh, that there is a, a searing, a cutting off, a, a reprobate mind, uh, which is a whole other thing than what I'm talking about tonight. But I'm talking about in the, in the average Christian's life that, that graces the pews of Community Baptist Temple. It's not that God is not speaking to you or trying to call to you or trying to, to convince you of something. That's not the case at all. More often than not, it's simply that we have drowned His voice out. We come service after service after service, and this, this wrenches my heart because I've been in this place, and I know how, how sad this is for me personally, but you come to a service and, and nothing is stirred in you. Simply because the Lord didn't speak? No. Because I am too busy up here I'm too busy within my mind to slow it down enough to listen to his voice. Hey, these are dark days as far as we don't know how to navigate them. We don't know what to do. And so when you don't know what to do, do not ignore his voice. Do whatever it takes, church family to get his voice back in your ears, to get it back in your heart, to get it back in your life. We have got to be directed by the voice of God. Isaac here, he just wasn't confident enough in whose voice it was to make a, a, the right decision. And too often we make the wrong decision in unknown circumstances because we've ignored the voice of God. We're just not confident enough to know who it is who's speaking. Jacob is in the background to Isaac. Yeah, it's me. It's Esau, Dad. Yeah, it's me. Just give me the blessing. Give me the blessing. Give me the blessing. It's me. Yeah, here, feel my skin. Yeah, here's your meal. God gave it to me, which is a miracle. Hey, just give me my blessing. So many voices in Isaac's life. Be careful. When you don't know what to do, do not. Do not. Make sure that you do not ignore his voice. And as we close this evening, just a, a couple verses here, verse number 25 and 28. 25 through 28. We've kind of read up to this point. And he said, bring it near to me. 
And I will eat of my son's venison, that my soul may bless thee. And he brought it near to him, and he did eat. And he brought him wine, and he drank. And his father Isaac said unto him, Come near now, and kiss me, my son. And he came near and kissed him, and he smelled the smell of his raiment, and blessed him, and said, See, the smell of my son is the smell of the field, which the Lord hath blessed. Therefore, God give thee of the dew of heaven, and the fatness of the earth, and plenty of corn and wine. This is a little different idea here, but we finally see that Jacob is successful. Jacob's successful in convincing his father. The lie has taken root, and his father now believes that's Esau. And so, the last thing that I want to warn us of tonight, what not to do when you don't know what to do, do not forget that the end never justifies the means. The end never justifies the means. You see, sometimes we're in unknown circumstances. We're not sure what to do. And often we'll make wrong decisions. And it just might, by case, turn out okay. And we'll look back and be like, eh, it all worked out in the end. I'm going to tell you right now, the ends, the end, never justifies the means. You see, Jacob went about this whole situation the wrong way. Yes, if you go back to chapter 25, you're going to see that God promised that Jacob would, uh, that the older would serve the younger. This was God's divine plan for Jacob and Esau. But Jacob took situation, control of a situation between him and his mother. They took control of a situation that they should not have been in control of. They manipulated the circumstances and brought about the blessing that was supposed to take place. Yes, did Jacob deserve the blessing? Absolutely. Was it Esau's? No, it was not. God had already ordained that. And we might get to the end of this story and say, well, did Jacob really do wrong? He just got what he deserved. Yeah, he had to tell a little lie to get there. But in the end, it justifies it. Because that's what God promised him. Sometimes in unknown circumstances, we make decisions. And they are not directed or guided at all by the Holy Spirit. And I want to remind you this evening that the journey is just as important as the destination. Jacob embarked on a journey here that, sure, got him the blessing, but it also separated him from his mother. As far as we know, and and let's be mindful, back to the beginning of the story, that Jacob and his mother were very close. Jacob loved to be with his mom. He was a homebody. And his mom obviously had a favoritism towards Jacob. But they embarked on this journey together that caused them to be separated. And as far as we can tell from Scripture, as far as I've seen in Scripture, they never see each other again the rest of their lives. There's no interaction, at least recorded in the Word of God. Not only that, but Jacob... 
began a feud between him and his brother that would last for years and years and years, all the way up to just the day before Jacob and Esau finally make up. And we know the story. They, they make up and forgive one another. But it was all the way up to that moment, just the, the moments before he's walking across to meet his brother where he thought, man, I am dead meat. He finally had resigned himself to the fact. He's like, all right, I'm going to send everyone in front of me, and hopefully he spares my wives and my children and my flock and, and everything that I have. I'm just going to give it over, and hopefully he's not mean. And, but Jacob caused a lot of grief in his own life because in his mind at the time, the ends justified the means. Again, in our lives, there are far too many decisions that we make where the end justifies the means. You know, there might be a mother out there, and I, I was talking with my wife even this afternoon, and, and, um, and she, was sharing, she was talking, and I was asking her some questions, and, and one of the things she said, we were talking about this thought, and, and one of the things she said was, you know, what, what comes to mind is, as a mother, I'm so busy and I've got all these children to care for. And as soon as I wake up in the morning, they're right there. And I think to myself, oh, I can't neglect them. I've got to take care of them. They're at my heels and, and, and you know, they're, they're, they need to be taken care of. And, and, and if I'm not careful, I will substitute that time in the morning that I should be spending with the Lord or should be getting alone with God. And I'll jump right into caring for the family. Because that's my responsibility. That's my calling. That's where my heart is at. I want to take care of my family. And she said, I, I, you know, she's, she was just simply sharing these thoughts that, you know, I know that it's wrong. And we all have these things that happen in our lives this way. I, I, I know that I should spend time with the Lord. That, that should be the start of my day. But this is also a good thing here. Taking care of my family. It's that whole principle and concept of sacrificing the best on the altar of what's good. That's right. She, she was sharing, she said, hey, you know, that's, that's what we could do. And how often that's true. How often we, we do things in our lives with a right justification, even in our own minds. This is a good thing for me to do. But it's not the best thing. And especially when it's unknown circumstances, especially when it's unknown situations, we look at those situations and we say, well, I don't know if this is the best, but it seems like a good thing to do. Uh, that's not what God wants from us. You know, a moment ago I mentioned Maybe the Lord has spoken to your heart about being a soul winner. I've got to be a better soul winner. But then you think in your own mind, you think, hey, you know what? Well, Saturday is my only day off in the week. And I'll have to neglect my children if I, if I go out soul winning. I, I'm going to have to, that whole morning is going to be shot and I'm not going to be able to. Well, sure, it's good for you to spend time with your kids. You ought to do that. You ought to cultivate healthy relationships with them. But you're allowing the means to justify the end. No, go be a soul winner. Take your family with you. Bring them along. Don't spend your evenings watching TV every night when you come home from work. Make that family time. 
See, there's, there's right ways to do things and there's wrong ways to do things. But a lot of times, the end justifies the means. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13 tells us, Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust in your ignorance. Don't act like the lost world. Be different. Gird up your loins. There's a job to be done for, for the cause of Christ. Verse 15, But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. Hey, there's a, there's, a, there's a certain pattern that God has for believers, how we should act and how we should live and how we should behave ourselves, how we should conduct ourselves in our lives. And you can't just chalk it off and say, Oh, I'm a child of God, and it's all under the blood, and when I get to heaven, man, it'll all be done. And why do people make such a big deal about it? Well, we didn't make such a big deal about it. God did, and he said, I want you to act this way. I want you to behave this way, the ends do not justify the means. The destination is not more important than the journey. And so how you live every single day of your life is important to God. He's got a job and He's got a task. He's got something for you to do. But in times of of unknown circumstances, when we can't see what's around us, Sometimes we will allow ourselves to justify the decisions we're making because the ends justify the means. And Jacob justified it. He went in, he lied, his mom justified it. Go ahead and do this, this is your birthright anyway. Then they they convinced themselves that the end justifies the means. And so this evening we bring a challenge to you from God's Word. I know that the, the, the illustration here and the picture that's painted is a little different than the circumstances we're in today. But I don't believe that it makes the truth any less poignant. We, in times of unknown situations, should not do some things. And I want to challenge you tonight, church, to make sure that you don't fall into this trap. Do not move too quickly. Do not trust your feelings. Do not ignore his voice. Do not forget that the end never justifies the means. Hey, we don't know what tomorrow holds, but we know who holds tomorrow. We know who's in control. We don't know what his plan is or why he's allowed these things to happen or why he may have even sent these things himself specifically for us. But what we do know is that he's in control. Don't make hasty decisions. Don't let your feelings overrule. Make sure that you have his voice clear, direct in your heart and your life. Don't ever forget, the journey is just as important as the destination. Never justify. Never let the ends justify the means. Father, we do thank you for Tonight, in our time together, Lord, we pray that you would um, cement these truths in our hearts and our lives tonight. Lord, we ask that you would um, allow us, even where we're at tonight, as the family of God is gathered around little screens all around the city of Akron, Lord, that we would just take a few moments to, in some stillness, listen for your voice. How did you want to speak to us tonight? What did you want to say?
Yes, I know that the speaker for this evening got up and delivered a message. But Holy Spirit of God, oftentimes you've spoken to me about things that weren't even directly a part of the message. Lord, I pray that you'd help us as a church family to be sensitive to your voice, to listen and respond. As the piano plays softly for just a few moments, why don't you just take a few moments right where you're at and bow your heads and pray.